I would ask my my mentor, mm-hmm. right? I'd ask them, but I never asked the people that I was actually leading. Right. So my mentor is a third party that doesn't see the day-to-day conversations. Right. So again, it's they're, the same people as the engineers. They're working off of data points that you give them. It's the engineers that get the planes back that have the bullet holes in them. That's mm-hmm. what it, they're coaching me on, mm-hmm. as good as that is, right? But the ones that actually went over and you know see the plane going down are able to say, hey, here's some where we're getting shot and we need to reinforce. But you're, you're able to take action once you have information. As and long that's as it's not got, combined with ego. Right. But that's what, in essence, what you got from this person is mm-hmm. a data point from which you can then make a decision on how you're going to handle that piece of information. Right. And here's the thing is the way I was coaching that person might have been di- the same as I was coaching another person, and they might receive it completely differently. And welcome to the Generate Your Value podcast. I'm your co-host, Andy McDowell, founder and owner of Generate Your Value, providing life, leadership, and small business coaching services in the Atlanta area. And I'm Zach Levy, your other co-host. I run a nationwide financial service business with my wife, Megan. Together, Zach and I have the intention to bring you tips, concepts, ideas, suggestions, stories, and analogies from A to Z, which will help you to grow your personal brand and small business in such a way that joy, happiness, and success as you define it for yourself are achieved. We hope to use our gifts, talents, and experiences in business to generate value in your life. And with that being said, let's move to our topic for today. Thank you for joining us today for the Generate Your Value podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Zach Levy, and with me as always is Andy McDowell. Andy, good to see you. Good to see you as always. Glad to be here. Of course. So we've had a lot of good pre-recording conversation today, so it's kind of cool. I just have to give you a little insight. You know, it in every little conversation we have, it seems like we always revisit stuff we've talked about on every episode, and mm-hmm. I really feel like that is a uh, sign that... You're actually living out your why, and you're right where you're supposed to be. At the very least, it speaks to the importance of that those topics and ideas and concepts in your own life, right? Right. So we've talked about leadership a lot, things like that, and you know, as leaders, we can get really, really caught up in our business, in the the operations or overseeing whatever it may be, right? But I want to pause there, and I want to hand it off to Andy to. Have a little story time, if you will, talk to uh, lead into what we're going to talk about today. Right. So this story, it's a history story, right? So it's, and it's just a little snippet. It's not a long story. Uh, but back in the midst of World War II, after the Allies, meaning the British and the Americans and the French, had been in battle with the Germans, and their air forces had gone against each other. The, le- the leaders of the Allies decided they wanted to take a look. They put, put a team together to go look at where were areas on the airplanes that needed to be reinforced. In other words, if they wanted a, a longer lifetime 
span, if you will, their aircraft? Where should we be reinforcing the body of the airplane to withstand um, more attacks and therefore have a longer life? So the team got together and went to all the air stations where the aircraft were based, and when they would come back from a battle, would do drawings of the aircraft where all the bullet holes were. You know, so you'd have a sheet of paper with the holes for a single aircraft, and then they had people that would take all those papers and compile it and do a graphic to say whether it's in the tail section or the wings or where it were typical bullet holes hit on the aircraft for various reasons. And as they were going through this process, a mathematician spoke up and said, I think we're going about this the whole wrong way. You know, and he probably got a lot of strange looks and went, wait a minute, fellow, we've been, you know, a year deep in this research and something. What, What do you mean we're doing it the wrong way? And he said, well... All, all of these aircraft have survived and come back. That's how we're able to take this or collect this data, so to speak, with each bullet hole being a piece of data on a specific aircraft. And said, you know, I'm sure these areas could use a little reinforcement, but I think the more critical data is where there are not bullet holes. Because those are the aircraft that didn't come back. So right. they're, they're, quote, already dead, end quote. There's no more service life in the aircraft because the aircraft was shot down and crashed and possibly the pilot or pilots perished in the accident. It was sort of a hmm moment, right? Right. Yeah, you may have some validity here where the where there is no data, meaning there's no bullet holes, has more importance to the question that we're asking than where they are in the aircraft survival. So if we're going to have limited resources and limited time to do some reinforcement in the aircraft, we want to put it where there are no bullet holes because it's bullet holes in those areas in the aircraft that caused it to crash, whether it be around the engine or something that exploded or whatever. So, in essence, they started concentrating on the blind spots. And they're blind because we have no data on it. We think everything's okay in that area because of the other data we are able to collect when the reality is there is a, there is a problem there. We're just not aware of it. You know, it's something we don't know that we don't know. So, I thought that would be a good topic of a discussion in our episode today. I think that's huge. I think a lot of people as business owners, as leaders, you know, we, the planes that made it back in that story are the examples of a successful mission, right? So somebody that made it back, they accomplished their mission. Pilots made it back. Crew made it back. Awesome. Yeah. There's some bullet holes and that's the day. And they're fixable. Right. And they're They're fixable. They're known and fixable. They're known. So we repair the plane. We fly another mission, Mm -hmm. right? Again, what we don't know in that story is, the planes that made it back, where are the bullet holes on them? Because where there aren't bullet holes on these planes is probably where the ones that didn't make it back are, right? Most likely. So this is really coming down to a big, bold word that a lot of us may feel like we have, but probably not all the way there, which is self-awareness, right? So Mm -hmm. if we're the plane, 
right? We know where the bullet holes are and if we, you know, we're, we're being successful, but maybe we're not noticing the planes that are dropping off, right? Right. We don't know. And, uh, you know, self-awareness, knowing that data, what we don't know really per se is how we continue to have more and more successful missions, how we find happiness, how we find success, right? Right. So with that, a lot of things go into self-awareness. One would be, we've talked about it before, but instead of IQ, EQ, right? The emotional intelligence quota, basically. So it was interesting. We're referencing an article from Inc. And it's talking about the self-awareness and leadership. And, you know, like we're talking about the blind spots, the data we're not seeing. And what I found interesting is the article actually references as leaders ascend through the organization, self-awareness and emotional intelligence decline. Which Andy went, before we went through this, I would have thought, of course, it's the exact opposite, right? The lowest rung of employee on the corporate ladder is going to have lower EQ, right? As people move further and further up, they got there because they actually haven't higher EQ. They've developed, self-developed to a more enlightened <laughs> position. Well, that's, that's the assumption. Right. You have to go back to asking the question, well, why is somebody promoted? Usually well, it's what are the criteria standards that those that are in control or make the decision to promote somebody, what are they looking for? Right. I'll give you one example here where this actually shows very, very strongly. I won't mention the name, but I used to work for one of the larger fitness companies in the nation. Mm-hmm. Most people are familiar. And their promotion guidelines were strictly based off of sales production. So you could put up good numbers. Awesome. You got promoted. But they'd give you some books to read, things like that. But there was no formal sales training. There was no formal self-development. And so you're putting people who are really good at putting up personal numbers in charge of teams that have no emotional intelligence or leadership skills. And it was almost like leading, you know, sheep into the slaughter at that point. Well, where's the measurement for customer retention? Right. If they're, if the measurement in sales is just the initial point that a contract gets made, but in doing so, the person gets so upset or angry at the at the guy making the sales that a month or two later they're like get me out of this contract i'm gone right and so you, you know are you looking at that that part of the of the data points available to you right as well so a lot of times and you know again to reference the article studies have shown that the the thought that we would have that the further you move up the higher the EQ and self-awareness actually does hold true, usually up into about mental management. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden you get to just sub-executive level, upper management, C-level. And I love the, the phrasing here that that EQ descends faster than a snowboarder down a black diamond slope. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. So maybe you've worked for somebody in the past. This is a great example that they just seem to be completely disconnected with anyone or anything besides their position in numbers. <laughs> well, it becomes more of a bureaucracy in a political arena as opposed right. to making decisions on results. But incorporated within that results is also 
how happy is your people directly below you? Or if you're fairly high up in the organization, your whole division, right? How are you achieving these results? Right. Are you berating and beating everybody over the head, so to speak, uh, to get the results, but yet you're losing 20% of your workforce every year because they're all burned out or beaten up or whatever? I mean, what is the big picture that you're looking at? Or are you just strictly looking at spreadsheets and numbers relative right. to sales and revenue and profit and those kinds of things? And I think the reason that holds true is because there is so much going on at those upper levels numbers, different reports, things like that, that there becomes a disconnect and there becomes a really big focus on that. And so it's almost like a, you know, a racing horse with blinders on. They can't see what's beside them. Right. Right. They're so focused on that goal. And so that blind spot for leadership can absolutely, you know, at the worst, destroy an organization or at the least, vastly hinder what could be accomplished. Yeah, one one of the biggest things I think is wrong with corporate America is the bonus programs. Agreed. Because they're they're looking at the revenues, they're looking at the profits, you know. I don't want to take away that as goals, but they're not looking at well, what about a bonus program that's based not only on your fiscal results, but we're also going to send out a survey to everybody who works underneath you. For their opinion on your leadership. Mm-hmm. And if you get terrible leadership scores, then you don't get a bonus at all or you get a very small one. But if you get scores that show emotional intelligence along with good fiscal results, then you're going to get a huge bonus and reward that behavior as opposed to just strictly on the financial results. Right. And I think we've seen corporate America shift a lot over the past decade, maybe 20 years to being more focused on emotional intelligence and leadership skills of management rather than just hard, cold yeah, number of results. It's, it's increased, but I still don't think it, it's not there. It's not where it needs to be. No, agreed. But that's why we're talking about it is for your organization, the, the team, your, the organization, big or small, that could be a make or break, right? That's why the the old guard in a lot of corporate America is being pushed out. It's because that style of management, that style of leadership, well, it's management, it's not leadership. Mm-hmm. That style is is outdated. People, again, we've talked about want to be seen, heard, mm-hmm. understood, empathized with, and valued. Right? So let's talk about where those blind spots can come from and what pops up most frequently with leadership. Right. So this, once again, this is an article from Inc. Magazine online that you can find. And they list out the top 10 most frequent blind spots that have been discovered in leadership from, you know, I'm assuming various research polls and whatnot. So number one is going it alone or being afraid to ask for help. I'd say that's a big one for a lot of people, (laughs) especially A-type leadership personalities. Uh, We we were talking about ego before we started recording and so forth. So uh, nobody wants to be vulnerable enough to say, I don't have it all figured out. Right. You know, we often talk about it takes a village to run a business. It's not 
the whole weight doesn't have to be on your shoulders. I don't know how many female listeners we have, but ladies, let me talk to the men for a second. Okay. Uh-oh. So so let's let's think about this, the going at it alone, right? Let's think about this in in our marriage or in our, you know, in a romantic type of relationship. Typically as men, we are coded in our DNA to be caretakers, fixers, helpers, protectors and protectors, mm-hmm. right? And so you know, I'm sure there's been times we've all been faced with a problem that's a family problem or not just an us problem. And we go, no, it's fine. I got it. When we don't even have a solution yet. <laughs> I got it. But you don't know what the hell you're going to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this is the same thing here is in our business. Are we are we holding on to that ego and pride and saying, no, I have to do it. It's my responsibility. Right. It's in my title. It's my responsibility. I got to figure it out. Right. And so we never ask for help, and then we wonder why we crashed into a wall. Right. That is a huge blind spot I see for many, many leaders I talk to in many, many industries. Right. As I network, things like that is a lot of stress is brought on by putting all the pressure on yourself. You can't put the world on your shoulders. Right. So moving on to number two is being insensitive of your behavior towards others. Quote unquote, how you show up. Right. So I've got a personal story to tell on this. This is, I, you know, I have an organization that I lead. And again, going, I'm speaking from experience here, not at anybody, but really through myself when I talk about these things is. We get so caught up in goals, in productions, things like that, that sometimes we become cold to the emotions of others or the perception of others about us, how it may affect others' decisions that we make, et cetera. And so I had one of my one of my people in my organization actually text me, say, Hey, can we talk? And picked up the phone, called them. And he said, hey, you've done such and such and this, and then you're coaching me on this, and I feel like it's not really lining up. I had no clue, right? Because I'm so caught up in just running everything that Mm -hmm. it was a huge blind spot for me. Now, talking about ego in this, what was expected to come out of my mouth because of former employers and bosses and things, how they handled it was I could hear in their voice that they were bracing, right? They were bracing Mm -hmm. and the expectation was for me to come down with a hammer and say, how dare you? Who do you think you are? I'm above you. And no, Mm -hmm. talking about emotional intelligence, I took, took a breath and I said, I appreciate that. And you could hear the sigh of their sigh of relief on the other end of the line but also shock, positive shock, Mm -hmm. because I actually appreciated the communication and pointing out my blind spots because my goal as a leader is not to always be right, but to always get better, right? And as a business leader, that's what we've got to focus on. So I was happy about that. And I actually asked that person, if I ever do anything that feels iffy to you 
or I'm not holding up my end of what I've told you I would help you do or things mm-hmm. like that. You have the right and I want you to call me on it. Let's have a private conversation because we can get better together that way. Right? So. Well, once again, going back to the story, you didn't have that data point. Right. You, didn't, you, had, you had no idea because nobody had... I mean, I'm assuming in the story that you never, with this particular person, brought up the subject about where could I be improving? No, I'd never asked that question. Never asked that question, right? So, right? You, ha- so, asked, you, so you have no data. I would ask my my mentor, mm-hmm. right? I'd ask them, but I never asked the people that I was actually leading. Right. So my mentor is a third party that doesn't see the day-to-day conversations. Right. So again, it's they're, the same people as the engineers. They're working off the of data points that you give them. It's the engineers that get the planes back that have the bullet holes in them. That's mm-hmm. what it, they're coaching me on, mm-hmm. as good as that is, right? But the ones that actually went over and you know see the plane going down are able to say, hey, here's some where we're getting shot and we need to reinforce. But you're, you're able to take action once you have information. As and long that's as what it's you not got, combined with ego. Right. But that's what, in essence, what you got from this person is mm-hmm. a data point from which you can then make a decision on how you're going to handle that piece of information. Right. And here's the thing is, the way I was coaching that person might have been di- the same as I was coaching another person, and they might receive it completely differently. Sure. Right? So, from from surveying who you're leading, you're going to get an variety of different experiences and perspectives but the fact of the matter is you've got to understand those to be able to speak to them and help move forward because for for individuals that we're leading perspective is reality right so that communication it could also be that it's not necessarily the wrong decision they might be looking at it the wrong way so by them acknowledging that you're actually able to link arms and move forward and help them understand Right. There may be some bias or filters they're using from your actions and behaviors that gives them a certain feeling or conclusion that feels right to them, but the reality is it's not what your intention was or they didn't perceive it the way that you intended it for it to be used, so to speak. That's why dialogue has to be around it. And understanding their context of their past. The past experiences Mm -hmm. have a lot of influence on that, so you can speak to that as well. It might be scars from an old, mentally abusive employer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? All right, let's move on to number three. Number three is having an I know attitude. In other words, you're going to talk about ego. I'm right about everything. You're completely wrong. You know, you take this example you just threw out. Person brought it up and the ego kicks in and goes, no, 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 no. Everything I do is right. Right. You're totally wrong. You're perceiving it wrong. Or you you didn't understand my intention. Or you weren't listening. I mean, you can throw out 10 type of responses that would hit this category here of, and I know attitude. Mm-hmm. I have a bigger title, bigger salary, 
I'm the leader. I know everything. <laughs> right. So I'm just going to squash you like a bug. <laughs> right. We've talked about in the past the the value of open lines of communication and your people feeling that they can be seen and heard and acknowledged. If every time they come to you and they get shut down, expect that to last like half a second. They'll never come to you and you, you'll never be able to identify your blind spots because even if you ask them, hey, what could I improve upon? Mm-hmm. Oh, nothing, nothing, you're good because they don't want to talk to you about it because you're going to bring down the hammer on them. Well, the trust level's not there. Right. I mean, it, it does say something in your in your own personal example here. Yeah, they might have been bracing, but they still had a little bit of trust. Right. In in you and like bring, even bringing the conversation up and say what they said. Right. And now out of that conversation, the trust level probably skyrocketed. Right. Going, okay, I can, you know, this gets into number four on the list, right? Which Avoiding is- the difficult conversations. Right. So I can have difficult conversations with Zach and I'm going to be respected and- have a good conversation out of it, and we're both going to walk away at some point, right? If, if, right. if the subject of the conversation is on a scale, you're going to prob- probably walk away somewhere in the middle with a true understanding right. between each other in a, in a higher trust level Well, because of the way that you approached it with some emotional intelligence. Let's again take this out of the business context and put this back into the relationship context. <laughs> right? <laughs> what do I say every time? The overlap between life and business. So, you know, Megan and I, we we were very, very intentional about, you know, before we got married, about actually going through premarital counseling with our church and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And the reason was, you know, I've had one failed marriage. I want to do everything completely different, mm-hmm. right? Make sure we had all the boxes checked that would lead to success. And one of the biggest things that they nailed really nailed down was 100% of the time communicate how you feel. Right. See, you know, there's, I've seen so many situations where people will act like everything's hunky dory and you ask what's wrong. It's fine. It's fine. Nothing's wrong. And then all of a sudden there's a straw that breaks the camel's back and yeah, it's passive aggressive. There's behavior. an atomic explosion that's seen around passive, your neighborhood. Passive, 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 but that passivity keeps adding up. Right. So eventually you cross the line, all of a sudden you have this huge aggression. Right. And everybody's going, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so actually being able to take the time to have the hard conversations, whoever the source is, but having that openness and trust level mm-hmm. in both contexts. So. That also gets down, they, these kind of roll into each other, but number five, blaming others or other circumstances. Deflection. Yeah. I mean. No, that wasn't me. That was because of Joe or Sally or Bob or whatever. Right. You know, I mean, well, that wasn't, wasn't because of me. One of my very good friends was fired, having never been written up from a VP position with a large company. And it's found out that his boss was using him as the scapegoat. Mm-hmm. The company actually offered him his boss's position to come After back. the fact. Right. Yeah. Of course, that was a big no. <laughs> <laughs> but but so so often this happens. 
And as leaders, whether it is actually, here's the, there's a, a book out there, Extreme Ownership by um, Jocko Willink, right? As leaders, whether it's our fault or not, we have to at some point say, this is my responsibility in some form or fashion, mm-hmm. right? If one of our, if you're, if you're training a sales team, for example, and you have a person who just doesn't seem to get it, right? They're not producing like you want them to, things like that. To some degree, that's your fault. And you have to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. You can't say, oh, well, they're, they're just dumb. They're not. No, as a leader, it is your job to pull them along. Better yet, push them along because you should be behind them the whole time. Mm-hmm. Right? So we can't blame others. That's a huge blind spot. And then Andy, number six. Treating commitments casually, not honoring the other person's time, energy, and resources. Right? Let me ask you, how often... Somebody's putting in 10-hour work days. Right. Or more. And it's not raising the red flag for you. Right. Or are you not... Are you taking for granted the employee that comes in whenever somebody else calls out? Right, they're they're there at your beck and call mm-hmm. to fill in, so you don't have to. Right? Mm-hmm. Do you take for granted that lifeline? I, I've know I've looked back across my careers, and there have been those kind of people, and I caught myself sometimes. They came to me. Right? This again, life is a journey, and we've all been through different experiences to get where we are and have our perspectives. And it was brought to my attention that hey, Zach, I'm, I'm working three extra shifts a week. And I just feel like you don't you don't appreciate me. And it, it was a stab in my heart. I was like, oh, my God. Right? But again, being able to acknowledge that and empathize and going forward, I was able to make sure anybody that went out of their way to help the organization, that they were edified mm-hmm. publicly. Mm-hmm. Right? The other part of this is for upper management, things like that. How often have you scheduled a meeting with somebody and then you were running late? Right. How often have you said, yeah. Or didn't even show up. Right. Or or another issue came up, right? So you have the same meeting, it keeps getting postponed two or three times. And they might have, you know, blocked off time with their kids, Mm -hmm. lost that time. And not, here's the thing messing with somebody's money is one thing and it's very, very important, but more money can always be made. Messing with somebody's time is a complete lack of respect for them as a human being because time's the only resource we can't get back. Right. Right. So that's a, I feel like that is a huge one. And then number seven, conspiring against others, which I have a hard time, I actually have a hard time seeing this as a blind spot unless somebody's just a complete narcissist and their complete their EQ well, is maybe, like zero. Maybe a blind spot in that they feel like nobody nobody knows about it. They're sort of getting away with it. Nobody's spoken up about it, so therefore, there's no perception out there that this is what I'm doing and I'm getting away with it. Right. So, are you driven by a goal to move up in the organization and doing it yeah. at all cost? Right. Stepping all over people to get it done. Right. And this is, Andy, we were talking about this before, but, you know, self-inspection, 
right? This is where you really sit down and look in the mirror and look at your MO. Yeah, can you live with yourself? Right. So if you really stop everything else and then look at the collateral damage that your personal agenda may be creating and really identifying what the why of your actions are, mm-hmm. are they benefiting others or is it solely for your agenda? Right. I think that I think I just answered my own question of how that may be a blind spot. <laughs> but <laughs> thinking out loud. Right. That's and, what we do here on this podcast. All right, number eight, withholding emotional commitment, emotional blackmail. That one's heavy. <laughs> well, it's about transparency. It's about being emotionally committed to something, but maybe not being able to pull the trigger. Right. I'm trying to think of all the all the examples of this this particular item, but nobody likes to be blackmailed, and blackmailing people is not an appropriate action. Well, here's a here's an example, right? So somebody comes to you in confidence about something. One of your employees says, hey, I have this issue and I just need a sounding board, right? And then, you know, you say you're, you're being there for more than just business. You're, there's an emotional support. But then in the future, you use that as ammo against them. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I would classify as emotional blackmail, right? I did this for you. To get, again, kind of going back to driven by a personal agenda there. All right, number nine, not taking a stand, lack of commitment to a position. Being Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Wishy-washy, right? Or also known as flip-flapping. Flip-flapping. So I feel like this is the saying goes for this, that if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. Right? So as a leader, people are looking to you to make a decision, mm-hmm. right? They're looking for you to create structure. They're looking for you to call the play, right? Looking for direction, looking for forward movement. Right. So how can you expect your people to get behind somebody that doesn't have a backbone enough to stand up for, hey, this is what we're doing, right? If you're wishy-washy, if... This was one of the things um, in when I was in restaurant management that was actually part of our leadership points that we carried on a little card in our pocket mm-hmm. was, you know, don't have, I can't remember the exact wording, but don't have always changing expectations, right? Have a system, have expectations and stick to them. Because imagine if you're going to your boss, if you're trying to move up in a... In, in an organization and you go to your boss and say, Hey boss, what can I do to move up? What can I do to do better to get my name recognized? And one day you say one thing and then they do that thing and they do that thing and they do that thing. And then they say, Hey, I'm doing this. And they say, Oh, well, we, we might need to do it this way a little bit more. Doesn't bode well with people. It also destroys trust, right? So it could also be, the the mission of your company, right? Are you standing behind the why? Is it really the true why? And then finally, number 10, tolerating quote-unquote good enough or having low standards for performance. That goes back to avoiding the difficult conversations. That's oftentimes where this blind spot I see comes through is 
not wanting to hurt anybody's feelings by sitting down and doing a performance review, basically doing a SWOT analysis of of their work. Yeah, a term I've heard for this one a lot is sandbagging. You know, you start putting budgets and goals together for the for your business or for your division of, of the company if you're in the corporate world and so forth that you know you can easily hit. So you're just making you and your team look good all the time. Right. You're not reaching out for the full potential. You're just, oh, we can easily make this. Let's just go about our work life right. without much pressure on ourselves. Makes well, you as a leader look really good. Makes you look really good, but I mean, stacking the numbers. And if you've ever heard the saying, you know, good enough for government work, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, that holds true. So we've outlined the top 10 blind spots that, that plague most leaders, right? This can also apply to, you know, the entire organization, even blind spots in the market that you're in. Right. So it's not just going to apply to your leadership role, but it could apply to bigger pictures. But now it's not limited to individuals. Right. So moving into and the story I told kind of hits on some of this, a lot of it, but curing your curing your blind spots. So moving into all right, so what's our we've identified our problems, right? What's our solution? Well, number one hits home about collecting the data point. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to our original story at the beginning of the episode, which is soliciting feedback in the right way. You're looking for those data points that you can then make a decision on. Right. And change direction. Again, on this, when's the last time you went to somebody and said, Andy, you've been working, me, working with me for me now for, you know, two years or so. Where's the one area you feel as a leader I can get better at? Mm-hmm. You're collecting a data point. Right. So for our listeners, have you actually gone out and asked those questions? And if you have, when's the last time you did? Right, because that's going to let us know where, where the holes are and what may be taking our plane down. <laughs> right? Well, it's the reason whenever I had my first meeting with a new manager or boss that I'd have, I always hit home with the point that the performance review was very important to me no matter what the information is because mm-hmm. it was a data point. I can't sure. change direction or change my leadership style or the way I do things without a data point. And that his or her data points were extremely important to me. You know, tell me tell me as it is. Don't, don't dance around the daisies, right. so to speak. Tell me as it is because I can't change my behavior, my leadership style, or anything without the proper feedback. Mm-hmm. Open, honest feedback. Well, it's the same reason that sports teams watch film. Mm-hmm. Not just of the other team. Yeah, they do that to prepare. That's their research and development. <laughs> but they go back and watch their own film. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you Coaches got, want to work on the things that need to be worked on right, for the team And you can improve. always see it directly from the sideline when you're in the heat of everything. And their data points. Right. So... Go back and watch your own tape. Ask your people for their feedback. Don't be afraid to do it because it'll allow you to get the data points you need to build a stronger vehicle, essentially. Number two sort of speaks to 
the the notion you don't know what you don't know. So number number mm. two is surround yourself with diverse thinkers with the intention of learning from them. So this this item is not really speaking about getting direct data feedback on your performance. It's about what others are modeling that you're that you're witnessing, and then you go, "Wow, they did a a or a b or a b and c." And I hadn't even thought about that for myself. Well, I don't. I don't even know how I would handle those situations. Or they did it in a different way than I did, and they got better results out of it. That's sort of a blind spot as well. Something like this sounds very much like a peer-to-peer group that I that somebody <laughs> facilitates that I know. <laughs> yeah, that's right? one of the things we accomplish in my peer-to-peer groups. Yep. So again, with that, are you? You know, because you can go to your your team, everything like that. But are you surrounding yourself with others in different industries that are that are leaders of industry and things like that? Because somebody might have a completely different perspective that, when offering that perspective, might be enlightening to you. Mm-hmm. Right? I could, oh, I could apply that here. That's exactly why you run that peer to peer group. Am I right? Well, one of the big reasons. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, there's many reasons, but. That's one of the benefits of having that peer-to-peer group, also an account- accountability partner to those commitments, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then number three, examine your past to identify patterns. Andy, what have we all, you know, we've talked about this a lot. Most people are scared to death of introspection, mm-hmm. right? Again, fear-based, ego, pride gets in the way there. We don't want to acknowledge that we might have some flaws, <laughs> right? Or that those flaws may have caused decisions that are harmful to others. Right. So asking, looking at the past and saying, okay, my job is X. Have I accomplished that? Right. My role as a leader is to develop other leaders. Have I accomplished that? Mm-hmm. I've had to do this myself in my business, Right. It's the question for me is, okay, am I am I just seeing a lot of, of people or am I actually helping develop leaders? Like how many self-sufficient leaders do I have out there, right? Well, it's, you're de- am I developing people that at the very least are being strong self-leaders? Mm-hmm. They're take, taking charge of their life and they're doing what they need to do to be successful in that right and then i want to hit on that a little bit deeper i don't know how many of our listeners if if you're going again don't be afraid to go at it alone if you don't have a mentor directly in in your in your industry in your business go find one Mm -hmm. if you're in the atlanta area andy mcdowell's a great one (laughs) (laughs) but he did not pay me to plug this just to let y'all know it's just i truly believe he can actually change the shape of business and is a main goal, but when you're meeting with mentors, right, are you taking notes? Do you, Are you just sitting there nodding your head and it might stay in your head for a day? And then, you're, then life gets busy, business gets busy again, and you're right back to old habits. And I, the old habits part, right? I'll use, you know, Megan, use my wife as an example. She was a professional golf instructor. Somebody can't go to take a golf lesson one time and break bad habits. Mm. They can... 
you know, corrected at the lesson, but the minute they get it back out on the course, they're going back to old habits because that's what their muscles are used to. Yeah, right? I had a conversation yesterday with a, a nice woman whose podcasts are going to be on coming up in the future, and we were talking about training classes. You know, how many how many corporations require employees go through training mm-hmm. instruction and then they never use it? Or they're never given the opportunity to use it. Right. You know, we get training on a new process in the company, but you're giving it to everybody when 10% of your population is going to be using it on a day-to-day basis, but you feel like everybody should know this. And then a year later, somebody may find themselves in a situation where they need to use it, but they haven't used it in a year, and it's Mm -hmm. all leaked out of their head, so to speak. You got to apply it. You got to take the data points and the information and then try it and apply it in your right. life or in your work life. I was to on get a, used to it. I was on a call the other night and somebody identified the individuals as assholes. Right. And you got some chuckles, but I've heard the term before. He said, Does anybody know what an asshole is? He said, it is an individual that asks for advice or asks how you do something. They take the data and they do absolutely nothing with it. Mm -hmm. Advice. When you're talking to mentors or your team or anything, don't be an asshole. Nobody likes an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) So number four, go ahead. While you're examining yourself, identify your triggers. Yeah, so what's the importance of a trigger? It shows we've got some trauma or fear mm-hmm. or something needs to be healed in your life. Some event or events happened in your life that caused a trauma, created some fears, and from that you get triggered whenever that something right. is said or something happens in your life that takes you back to that point. Right, and it it's, causes us to an, instinctually uh, react, not Yeah, it's an automatic logically. alarm that you've got something that's not healed that you need right. to address. So so you can eliminate or greatly reduce the trigger. Right. Knowing oneself is the is the most powerful thing in leadership. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about in the past, right, is you first got to know yourself to be able to self-lead to then lead others. Yeah, it creates a leadership life that's not based on fear but, but on love. Right. Because so, you've, you've loved yourself by mm-hmm. healing the traumas or the pains in your life. So it's no longer a fear and therefore not feeding your ego. Right. And then finally, number five is seek out a blind spot, buddy. Also sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. And this buddy's not necessarily, you're not asking the person to sit in all your meetings and observe stuff. It's really about having an accountability buddy. You've collected right. data points. You now know it's a blind spot for you, and you want to do certain behaviors or actions to change that about yourself. It's getting together with your buddy once a month or six weeks or eight weeks or something and talk about how you've tried to apply your new knowledge and what kind of inroads are you making. Mm-hmm. It's the same role as the accountability buddies that I use in my peer-to-peer group. Right. The, the main purpose of it is... In the 30 days between meetings, you've got an accountability buddy that you meet with to make sure you're right. working on your 30-day goal. 
Mm -hmm. for your business. So with that, I love the way this article actually ended. I just want to read exactly what it says. The flip side of every blind spot is a strength and always presents an opportunity for growth. Mm -hmm. All right, we've talked about that is typically a lot of these reasons exist due to something that's creating fear for us. Like we saw traumas, past experiences, ego, which ego is fear-based anyways. Mm -hmm. And so being able to identify these blind spots and patch them, right? Identify and work on them is just going to launch us forward. Yeah. So you can see a blind spot as being a weakness. At the very least, it's a weakness of no data mm -hmm. from which that you can make a decision. And by seeking out the data point, getting it, and then developing a strategy to then change it from a weakness to a strength. Right. That's what growth is all about, is changing things that are weaknesses in your life and making them a strength from that standpoint. So I agree with you. I absolutely love that, that last statement. I think it's a great way to sum it up is you have an opportunity for growth, that opportunity presented itself because you now have a data point you didn't know about. So what are you going to do? You know, I think I talked in one of our episodes about an equation I use quite a bit in my career at Boeing. Situation plus your response equals the outcome. Mm -hmm. So you get a data point. Now you have a situation. Right. What's going to be your response? Because that's going to then eventually tell you what the outcome's going to be. If you just sit on sit on your S and don't do anything with the data point that came in, your response is nothing. So S plus zero equals S. Right. <laughs> it's simple math. <laughs> so with anyway, that. Gr great conversation today. Being self-aware enough to identify your blind spots, not being afraid of them, and then being able to take steps that we outlined to move through them and move forward. That's where we find our strengths and opportunity to, to summarize. So as always to our listeners, we appreciate you tuning in and, you know, investing your time mm -hmm. with us. Just if you will, if you found a lot of value in this or other episodes, even if you've been thinking about it, go ahead and subscribe. So you don't, don't miss when an episode drops, we like to say follow, but we have to identify the right button. <laughs> Yeah, and take the nuggets from this episode. Take the, the top 10 list and be introspective about yourself. And if you need more information, go ask people. Mm -hmm. Go ask your teammates. Go ask people that are on the same level as you or even your, your manager or your boss. Say, how am I doing in these areas? I mean, if you had a monthly meeting with your boss, 12 months in a year, you could take this top 10 list. And make each one a conversation in each of your monthly conversations with your boss. Right. Tell me how I'm doing in this area. Number three, whatever number three was. Doesn't matter. Number three, having an I know attitude. Take that as a main point of conversation with your, with your leader or your boss in a monthly meeting. Do you think I have too much of an I know attitude or not? Get a data point. And then... Set a direction once you have a data point. Anyway, as Zach said, we appreciate you coming on, listening to this episode. Hopefully, some nuggets you can take away from it, and we greatly appreciate your time. Have a great week. Have a great day, and we'll see you next Tuesday on the next episode of 
the Generate Your Value podcast. See you next time. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of the Generate Your Value podcast. If you find our conversations to be useful in your life, I invite you to subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss an episode. You can find me online on Instagram at The Fitzpreneur, Facebook, and LinkedIn. For information on my coaching services, if you're in the Atlanta area, go to www.generateyourvalue.com. You can also find me and my company on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Simply search for Generate Your Value on those platforms. Once again, thanks for joining us for today's podcast, and we invite you to generate your value in this world. Thank you.